I'm launching a course called Successful ADHD Entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time, and I've had ADHD for a little bit longer than that. Over that time, I've learned quite a few things that make me quite effective. People even call me organized. After many people asked me to, I have created a course to share what I've learned with you. Get details at neurodiversity.me slash course. The first run is limited to only 20 students, and the first class is April 20th, so don't put this one off neurodiversity.me slash course. My name is Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy. I'm a global connector, networking concierge, and coach. For two decades, I believed that my ADHD was a disability. Only at the age of 41 would I come to realize that my ADHD was an incredible asset. And when I leaned into that, I achieved greater success than ever before. ADHD is the engine behind my own success as a networker and coach. Over the past few years, I've spoken with thousands of entrepreneurs and found that many of them have some kind of neurodiverse diagnosis, ADHD, autism, dyslexia, OCD, and more. Like me, for many of them, their neurodiversity is indeed the very source of their success. On this show, we will change the narrative on neurodiversity. I've heard enough about the challenges and how hard it can be. I want to hear about how awesome we are. It's time to start talking about how our neurodiversity can be an asset for ourselves, our communities, and our businesses. It's time to start talking about neurodiversity superpowers. All right, and welcome to another episode of the Neurodiversity Superpowers podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy, and I am very excited to have Katie Asaurus, Katie Osborne, here on the show. She is a certified sex educator with ADHD, a mental health advocate, and full-time content creator. As a professional streamer and TTRPG influencer, she is passionate about opening conversations about neurodiversity and accessibility into the gaming community, and I'm super excited because usually I meet people through networking. And Katie, you're one of the first guests that I brought on because I saw your content and said, hey, you want to come on the show? So I'm kind of a fanboy and you're <laughs> on my show. So this is exciting. Well, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. So I kind of touched on how you're successful, but tell us to start with, just tell us some of the ways in which you are a success that people like, I want to be more like Katie Asaurus. Um. Gosh, that's a really hard first question. I like it. Um, I I mean, I'm a full-time content creator. Um, like you said, I'm also an ADHD educator and advocate, disability educator and advocate. Um, but I think, I don't know, if somebody were to objectively look at me um, and say, how am I successful? I think the thing that I'm most proud of is that I have been able to create a career and a job that I get to do on my own terms um, in a way that allows me to talk about the things that I'm excited about and passionate about um, and do it by just sort of authentically being myself. Mm -hmm. um, and as somebody who felt like myself wasn't good enough for a really long time, uh, having that gift and having the ability to kind of just make the content that I care about and help people along the way that's that to me is is a profound sort of sense of success I love that answer uh one of the things that's been great about doing this show is talking to so many people and getting this cross-sectional uh set of answers and many people their their answer is along the lines of I get to be my authentic self I get to live the life I want I get to you know engage my family yeah, very few of them are like, well, I have a million dollars in the bank. and I have a <laughs> Although 
many of them do, that's not their idea of success. Their idea of success, what you said, is that being able to be you and share your gifts. Um, so so the, the form of your your neuro spiciness, that's a word I learned from one of my past guests, um, is ADHD. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, actually, um, I have ADHD. I also have depression. And it is looking more and more increasingly likely that I am also probably autistic. But uh, we're still working through the the screening process on that one. Okay. Uh, and how has your neurodiversity aided in your success? Um, <laughs> I'm going to answer this with a story. Ooh, I um, like stories. But so, I mean, growing up, I was a theater kid. I loved theater. I was, it was one of the only places that I really felt like I fit in. Um, but one of the really interesting things about theater is that when you start doing theater, uh, everybody does everything. You know, like the actors will bring in their own costumes and then sometimes the actors direct and then, every, you know, people like make the posters and we hang up the posters around town and like all that kind of stuff. And so I got used to wearing many hats. Um, but the more that I did theater and the more that I, I kept doing theater, the more that I just kept getting told that I needed to pick something. I had to decide. I had to choose. I had to be an actor. I had to be a stage manager. I had to be a playwright. I had to, you know, whatever. I had to be this one thing. And I kept saying, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. That doesn't feel right. That doesn't feel natural. That doesn't feel like me. I am I am infinitely curious about the world. I am infinitely excited to learn new skills and new talents and pick up new hobbies. And I kept hearing that that was wrong and bad. Um, and then as an adult, I kept I kept doing the same thing. Like my resume on paper makes absolutely no sense. Like it looks like I just chose a bunch of jobs at random and threw them on a piece of paper. Um, <laughs> but it was because it was, you know, what I was curious about at the time. Um, and so I get asked a lot, you know, like, what do you like about your ADHD or, you know, like, how is how is your neurodiversity, you know, helped you? And I think my answer is that especially I think my ADHD has made me infinitely curious and infinitely passionate. I love learning new things. I love picking up new skills. Um, and the thing with picking up new skills is that even if you're not very good at them, you still learn a little bit of something. And mm -hmm. sometimes that little bit of something that you learn comes back around, you know, two months, two years, 20 years later. And like, oh yeah, that's like the time that I did that weird job, you know? Um, and my depression is a different answer, but it's it's related, is that I used to be very impatient with myself and I used to get really frustrated with myself. Um, because I couldn't do the same things as other people. Um, and I would get really down on myself, you know, about like, especially like when I was having like really major depressive episodes. Um, and so I think what my depression has taught me is that it is important to be compassionate. It is important to be kind. It is important to be supportive um, because you you just you don't know what people are going through. You know, you don't know how they are feeling on the inside. You can be the most bubbly, outgoing, excellent, you know, communicator in the world and feel horrible inside. Um, and so I think the combination of that sort of wanting to offer that kindness and compassion to others while also being infinitely curious um, has put me in a really interesting position um, to sort of be the type of creator that I am today. Hmm. That's, that's a good answer. I like story answers are the best answers. <laughs> yeah. Have you considered creating content for, oh wait, yeah. That's what I you know, do. right? Stories. <laughs> good at it. So yeah, I, I, 
totally agree with that about how the the ADSU drives you to do all these different things so that you you have this diversity of skills and contacts and experience and um and I I imagine that probably helps with the content creation as well bringing being able to bring in some a few different backgrounds to it yeah I mean it's really funny because you know I talk about you know I'm a certified sex educator um but I'm also like a theater person and so it's like I have two master's degrees in Shakespeare um, and so it's like there you wouldn't think that there's a connection, but there's actually a profound connection between academia and being a successful educator, um, you know, because a lot of people can can, you know, read the study, but being able to take that like really dry, really boring study and be like, let's figure out a reason to get excited about it. Um, you know, I always joke and say, you know, as a teaching artist, um, when I was first getting started, I did a lot of really terrible gigs where I would have to show up at some high school in the middle of nowhere at eight o'clock in the morning and get kids passionate about Romeo and Juliet. Um, and if you've ever faced down an army of, you know, 300 angry teenagers who you're talking to about, you know, Shakespeare at, you know, eight in the morning, um, I kind of feel like if you can make Shakespeare interesting for them, you can make anything interesting for anybody else. Mm. Yep. Yeah, and so you mentioned you're also a certified sex educator. That's true, which, yes. Which initially sounds tangential to everything else, but I'm sure ties in in some fashion to um, your larger vision. Spite, mostly. <laughs> um, I mean, Ooh, basically... I like, like start with spite. How I mean, that... <laughs> well, there's a lot of ADHD uh, coaches. There's a lot of, you know, um, ADHD, you know, educators. Um, but there are a very few number of them who are talking about ADHD as something that also affects relationships and intimacy. Mm. Um, and if you look at the studies, if you look at the research that has been done on ADHD and sex and relationships and intimacy, um, there is a profound correlation. There's a profound correlation um, between neurodivergency and just frankly struggling in relationships and intimacy. Um, and I got really frustrated when I first started learning more about ADHD and and researching ADHD, and I and it and it kept being framed as this like organizational issue or you know like time management issue or you know I I struggle with I don't know remembering to text people back, mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't like well what do you do when you forget that your husband exists you know like that kind of stuff. Um, and the more that I delved and the more that I researched, the more I realized like that type of content was really, really resounding with people and really resonating with people. Um, and so, again, I love learning. I'm very curious. Um, and I didn't really get a good sex education growing up. I went to a very conservative Catholic school. Um, and so I didn't know a lot about sexuality. I didn't really know even a lot about my own body growing up. And so I kind of just thought, you know. I don't want that to be the experience for other people, especially for people who are coming to my content who might be, you know, feeling like they're the only person who struggles with these things. Um, and so I decided to become a certified sex educator just so I could talk more um, sort of holistically and uh, coherently about issues of sex and sexuality. Um, and then I took my own research and sort of like turned it into like its own thing. Um, so I always say that I'm a neurodivergent sex educator in that I specifically talk about accessibility and inclusivity for disabled and neurodivergent people. Interesting. Yeah, I can definitely see how, especially in in mainstream American culture, there's a lot of uh, a lot of things where 
where things are read into. So like he forgot your birthday. It's because he doesn't love you or is cheating on you or or, you know, she she didn't text you back. It's because she doesn't she doesn't love you. It, dot, dot, dot. Because they don't love you. Uh, and a lot of those things are they did an ADHD thing. It means they don't love you. Not that their minds squirreled off into the woods for a day. Yeah, exactly. There's a there's a a profound amount of um importance placed on mind reading um in in American culture, especially when we talk about like relationships. Yeah. Um and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, in movies and stuff, like, you know, we always kind of see that like, you know, like, oh, they're perfectly on the same page and they know exactly what I want and they know, you know, like and it's like that's not how real life works. You know, we are not always ready to have sex at a drop of a hat like we sometimes we need to know that it is important for our partners to hear i love you every day before they walk out of the house um but this very like if he loved me he would know sort of attitude mm -hmm. it's very toxic and it's very harmful and it's very damaging and so oftentimes um i find that a lot of a lot of my work and a lot of my education is just about unlearning that first you know having to to sort of explain to people like no, you have to actually communicate if you want to be told, you know, if you need to be told I love you every single day, like you can ask for that. It's it's OK. It doesn't mean that they don't love you. It just maybe they just don't they they weren't raised in a household where it was said every day, you know, like that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's been it's 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 definitely really interesting. So do you think it's it's and this may be too broad of a question, but <laughs> is it easier for a couple where they're both neurodivergent or is it easier if. Or I should say, is it more of a challenge if they're both neurodivergent? Is more of a challenge for a neurotypical person and a neurodivergent person in a relationship? Get, or you know, I I get asked that question a weird amount, and I hate it. And the reason why I hate it is because I think if you know one person with a neurodivergency, you know one person with a neurodivergency. Mm -hmm. Um, and most neurodivergencies are spectrum disorders, where you know the challenges and frustrations and issues that one person faces are going to be completely different to the next person's, you know. Um, and also then on top of all of that is the the range of backgrounds and experiences and 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 you know, sort of like life lessons that the other person brings to the table. Um, and so I don't think the answer is is, you know, oh, I think, you know, two neurodiverse people will do better than a neurotypical couple. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what it comes down to is, especially when we look at partnerships, partnerships are are about teamwork. They're about negotiation. They are about communication. They are about wanting to support and offer, you know, intimacy and comfort and love to your partner. Um, and I think some people are better than that at others, and it has nothing to do with whether or not they're neurodivergent. Um, and so oftentimes it's less about, you know, oh, well, one one person is neurodivergent, one per person isn't. It's let's build communication skills. So regardless of your neurotype, everybody is in the type of partnership where they feel fulfilled and supported and seen and valued. So I like it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think there's sometimes in the neurotypical community this idea of like, well, ADHD people speak ADHD, so you put two of them together and they'll be fine. It's like you know, if two people speak French, they speak French to each other. To <laughs> if, if two people are autistic, they they autist together in an autistic way, as opposed to, uh, yeah, as as you said, everyone is is individual in their own ways, and so so you could have two people who are ADHD together. One forgets the other's birthday, and the other one who also forgets things still doesn't like it, you know, still takes it the wrong way because they've been conditioned to believe love means remembering birthdays. Precisely.
even if even if ADHD. So, yeah. So I think it's a really really important point that it's not it's not a language. It's a it's a way of seeing the world. <laughs> um. So one of the the big things I want to do with this this show overall is to speak to younger people uh, who maybe they've gotten a diagnosis, they're in school, um, and the only context they know is their neurodiversity and school in which it's, as we know, the school teaches wrong, their brain's fine, but they're <laughs> taught, you're broken, the school is fine, why can't you fit in? Um, wh what is your message to to the younger folks who are you know trying to be the square peg trying to be crammed into a round hole? I mean, I think it's it's the same as like all of the content that I make, which is just like you're not broken. You're you're not broken. You are not alone. Um, the issues and the struggles that you're having are fundamentally based in a difference in how your brain is built and how it works and how it functions. And you can't control that. You know, you can't you can't train yourself out of that. Um, you know, it is it is absolutely possible to build systems and structures and solutions that will aid you and assist you and support you and make life easier. Um, but just like what you said, trying to fit a square peg in a round hole is not going to happen. And so rather than viewing your struggles and your frustrations as something inherently bad, um, valuing the way that you are and the things that you're passionate about and interested in and excited about um, and understanding that it is okay to struggle. Mm -hmm. It is okay to have a hard time. It's you're not wrong. You're not bad. You're not, you know, quote unquote, doing ADHD wrong if you if you struggle with it. Um, because that's that's one of the other things, too, that I think is really important to talk about is that, you know, even you know the title of of your podcast the idea that neurodiversity or neurodivergency has to either be this like terrible hindrance that we we suffer and we struggle or option b is that it's a superpower i think it's okay if you live somewhere in the middle mm -hmm. where you where you accept the struggles you understand that sometimes it might be difficult but also embracing the benefits and also embracing and valuing what you bring to the world and and your insights and and your passions. I think that's really important because I think if we lean far too far one way, we get really down on ourselves and we do a lot of judgments and we get really frustrated. But I think if we lean too far in the other direction, then we start comparing ourselves to other people and we say, oh, well, mm. they're so successful. Why can't I use my superpower in the same way and 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 get the same results and be as effective and it's like no you're your you're your own person you are your own you know superhero and so you have to figure out how your powers work and how they interact with the world and and that is okay if if it takes a minute to get there definitely yeah and it's hard to get across in the two words of a title uh, but i i completely agree with that nuance of is i think there's sort of like the default superpowers like oh adhd you're creative autism you're good at math uh you know dyslexia you're a millionaire entrepreneur because apparently that's what dyslexics are uh but but that you you don't need to have the default superpower and and when i get, dive deeper into it, i usually say everyone has a superpower but but the, the deep but there's a lot of people out there who aren't saying identify your superpower around your neurodiversity so it's I chose the name as a counter narrative 
to the narrative I was hearing of disability. I'm like, oh, let's look at the other side of that. But you're totally right. You can't be, you know, and, and if you even think about superheroes, not all of them can fly. Some <laughs> exactly. Of them can just, some of them can just talk to fish. You know? Yeah. But if that's in the right context, it, it, and yeah, you think about that, like, wow, there's a lot of fish-related crimes in this city, but it's a good thing there's a guy who can talk to fish here. Right. But if he was inland and, you know, in Nevada, where there's no water, he wouldn't be much <laughs> of a superhero. So we should probably live by the coast where his fish talking abilities work. Same thing, you know, if you have ADHD, doing uh, computer debugging, you know, code debugging might not be the right job for you where you're supposed to pour through a thousand lines of code and find the missing semicolon. Um, but if you're, you know, if you find places where you need to talk to fish to solve the crimes, that's where that's where you need to be. <laughs> um but but yeah i think that, that that is an important subtlety to get into because i think that there is that sometimes that sometimes like well superpower means you should be a bazillionaire well, not necessarily there's other ways to be wildly successful without being a billionaire exactly um and, and one of those ways seems to be uh gaming for a living um i i opened a game store as my first business out of college and i know as part of your part of your bio says that you're a role play a TTRPG, which I assume means tabletop role-playing game. Yes, that's uh, TTRPG influencer, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that and how that is part of your part of your uh, your living. Yeah, so I play Dungeons and Dragons for my real grown-up job. Um, <laughs> you win. Basically, You're the most successful person on the podcast so far. The the short answer. Um, no, but I mean, again, like talking about um, sort of like being curious about things and you know picking up skills along the way. Um, I love storytelling. I, I've always been a theater kid. I've always been really interested in, you know, like characters and how do you put a character together and how do you, you know, sort of mine the script for backstory. Um, and then, you know, simultaneously, I worked at an improv comedy theater um, for like almost a decade. And so I'm pretty adept at improv as well. Um, and, but I also love writing. I love writing. I love research. I love just, you know, like historical stuff. Um and so for me, TTRPGs are like a perfect storm of writing and creativity and acting and improv and thinking on your feet and problem solving and working together and like all of these things that I really like. Um, and so honestly, coming to TTRPGs was a very sort of natural progression for me. You know, it just it just made a lot of sense. Um, and then I got, I was extremely lucky in that I think people recognized the skill and the talents that I bring to the table, um, because I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at it. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. I don't usually toot my own horn that much, um, but I love it and I'm passionate about it. And I think passion always shows through, even if you're not the most like technically adept, like I still don't know how combat works most of the time. Um, but I'm really good at like the characterization and, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, and then a, one person asked me to sort of guest star on their game and then another person did and another person did and it sort of grew. And so basically at this point, my content is very sort of solidly divided on the middle where on one half of things, um, my sort of like quote unquote day job part of my job is I am an ADHD educator specifically around like sex and kink and intimacy and neurodivergency. Um, and then sort of like the night job is uh, D&D &D and TTRPGs. 
Um, but the nice thing is that, especially for the type of like sex education that I do, there's a lot of crossover. There's a lot of crossover between like the kink community and like the TTRPG, like board game community. Um, and so I was, I found that I was still talking to my people, you know, I was still talking to the same community, just about different topics. Um, and so I've been very fortunate in that because I was so passionate about so many things, I was able to sort of focus it and bring it together in this like very strange sort of job breakdown. Um, but that makes perfect sense in my head. Um, and, you know, and I very much divide my content. Like my YouTube channel is I do D&D videos and I do sex videos, you know, and so it's just like. <laughs> You know, you, I I really do. I get the I get the best of both worlds. Um, because uh, because going back to that sort of like, just trying to figure out what I liked, you know. And so yeah, so it's it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's that's awesome. And and it's probably I think there there was a there was a shift sometime in the eighties nineties maybe when when the 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 more chaste science fiction geek community and the kink more libertine community merged together because i'll never forget when i was at at Aresia, i was on staff the convention up in boston and somebody asked completely honestly why are there condoms in the con suite what do we need those for here and everyone's like do you not do you not know did, oh, okay don't don't worry about it don't worry about it just <laughs> pretend this is the convention you think it is and don't go through that door over there <laughs> and uh, yeah the the, the overlap and, and actually, I'd like to hear your thoughts on, you know, what do you think it is that attracts that overlap crowd between geek, gamer, neurodivergence, kink, that a lot of people tend to tend to find themselves in the center of that Venn diagram? I think it's a combination of things, um, because there's been a lot of actually really interesting research done about sort of like, like there's a, there's a much higher rate of like LGBTQ gender queer people um mm -hmm. in the neurodivergent community than there are just with like neurotypical people and so the question has sort of become like a chicken and egg situation where it's like are neurodivergent people more like predisposed to be like LGBTQ or is it just that you know like you are like you know it's just like well is one the cause of the other and I don't think that is the case at mm -hmm. all. Um, but what's really interesting is that in studying this, what seems to be the case is that across the board, neurodivergent people tend to be more accepting of others who do not necessarily fit societal norms, because I think there's an understanding of knowing what it feels like to not be accepted and, and, and to feel like you don't fit in. So they tend to be a more welcoming community anyway. Um, and then there's a fascinating study done specifically about autistic people and and like gender and how autistic people relate to gender. Um, and one of the the sort of conclusions that the study came to was that because so many neurodivergent people are used to looking at society and saying like this doesn't make sense, the way that we operate doesn't make sense like practically there's like this like impetus to just well if it doesn't make sense i'm just going to do my own thing anyway and i'm just going to be the person that i want to be and for you know a lot of people that looks like gender expression or like that kind of thing um and so i think that it's a combination of fundamentally understanding what it's like to not fit in fundamentally understanding that there are always going to be places and and people in society who don't understand you and and don't you know uh, come from the same place that you are coming from 
Um, and then third, I think that there is a a creativity element. There's a there's a creativity element. There's a community element. And so I think that there is just kind of like a perfect storm of like all of this coming together to say like, yeah, of course, you know, like there's a lot of like queer folks playing TTRPGs because it's a community that is accepting and welcoming of like the 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 geeks and, and freaks, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, like that kind of thing. Um, yeah, that's my very long winded answer for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense that it's it's a place where they'd be attracted to because they're welcome, welcomed and protected, and also a place they're more likely to express, you know, so someone who might be, might be inclined towards, say, being bi or, or kinky or something else, in a certain community might just suppress that for safety, because no one will accept it, whereas in this community, people are like, no, be, be who you want to be, bring that out there. What, yeah, what exactly. else you got this weird? Bring it all <laughs> yeah. out. We want to see it all. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's, I, and how would you say the 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 shifts on the internet have contributed to this over the last few decades? I mean, it's been really interesting. Um, both the conversation around like ADHD and and neurodivergency as a whole, and then also sort of like the sidebar of like TTRPGs becoming like entertainment. That's been fascinating to watch and and be a part of to a certain extent. Um, but I think that. There's just so, I mean, our, our understanding of ADHD and autism is so different from even 10 years ago. You know, it's, it is profoundly different. And we are, we are for the first time, I think, really having, starting to have conversations about all of the different people who have been left out of the conversation and how many people were excluded from, from the sort of like narrow stereotypical view of what ADHD is, what autism is and how different and varied the lived experiences of of the neurodivergent community as a whole is um and i think that's a great thing um because so many more people are are learning about themselves and understanding themselves um and i think there's also an element of self-acceptance that comes with it where you know one thing one thing that i hear all the time from people who who come to my content is that you know i thought i was the only one or I had no idea that I was neurodivergent. Like I'd never heard it explained in this way. I'd only heard this like one, you know, sort of take on it. Um, and so I think, you know, there's like this really like frustrating narrative that's like, oh, ADHD is so trendy right now, or like everybody's self-diagnosing themselves on the internet. And I'm like, well, or uh, we are living in a time where for two years, the entire world shut down and nobody knew what was going on. And the systems and structures and day-to-day -day routines that we had carefully developed over a lifetime of being undiagnosed neurodivergent people all broke down for many people suddenly overnight. Mm -hmm. Of course, more people are getting diagnosed. Of course, more people are learning about themselves. They've got time to sit on the internet and research like what autism actually is, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And so I think it's, I think it's great. Like, I think, I think the more conversation, the more voices that we add, the more, um, diverse viewpoints that we introduce into the conversation, I think that's that's vital for not only encouraging research, but also encouraging self-acceptance and and self-understanding. So yeah, yeah, that's I remember even 20, 20, 30 years ago, the news groups when they were talking about how people were starting to find their tribes they, they didn't know existed. And I feel like that's really at scale where where you know someone like you it, your your TikTok following is is how large? Uh it's about 
two million. That's right around a there. lot. Yeah. And to, to to the point where where you know someone who's talking primarily about ADHD can have two million followers. And actually, I'd love to ask you about that. Um, so how long have you been on TikTok? Uh, about uh two years now, two two and a half years. Yeah. So that, that I believe that could be described as rapid growth. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's been uh, a little a little snowbally. <laughs> how did you do that? Um, completely by accident, honestly. Um, it because uh, not the best story. I mean, I will say it like this: being a content creator is sort of like showing up at a park with like a like an apple crate, you know, and you step up on your apple crate and you say, "I have something to say." Um, you know, and maybe a couple people look over, you know, and wander over, say, okay, I'm interested in what you have to say. Um, but the thing that happened to me and that happens to a lot of people is that, you know, you start off with, you know, one person in your, in your proverbial park, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you've got a few more and then a few more. And then like one day you wake up and there's 2 million people in your park and that's a lot of people in your park, you know? Um, and so, yeah, like, and I didn't do it on purpose. I didn't I didn't wake up one day and go like, oh, today is the day I get a million followers, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I just talked about stuff that I wanted to talk about. I just taught up talked about stuff that I was curious about. I did a lot of shit posting, like just like weird, silly videos, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there's a need for those for that content. There's a yeah. need for those conversations. Um, and it's and I I've said this before and I'll say it again like this is this has been the honor and the privilege of my life to be you know kind of a, a person who people look at as like a, a prominent member of this community I get to advocate I get to educate I get to teach I get to share and and I get to help people and that's that's a profound gift that I take cool. really seriously you know yeah uh, so it was TikTok primarily what drove your over your audience um yeah i i got my start on tiktok and then i actually got banned from tiktok for a very strange weekend uh uh and then the weekend that i got banned from tiktok i started a youtube and i started a twitch um and then that kind that actually was great because um i i had the opportunity for both youtube um to start doing more like long form content where I can very much like educate on my own terms, which is mm-hmm. really nice. Cause you can't really do that on TikTok. Um, and then Twitch has been wonderful because it is like money. It's like income. Um, but it's also just a way of like connecting with my community. And like, we have like a group that like shows up every single morning and we catch up. There's been like proposals from people who have like met in my chat. Like it's like, it's, wow. um, it's yeah, it's, I've had several weddings there have been several weddings of people who have found themselves through my content, which like, that's cool. Like, that's a cool thing, you know, bringing people together, yeah. um, you know, and then the, the only fans and, and that kind of stuff, that was sort of like a secondary thing um, mm-hmm. that has become pretty, pretty successful. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just about getting like, yeah, TikTok is a great sort of like launching platform, mm-hmm. um, but it's really difficult to be frankly, like sustainable in any sort of way because you're at the mercy of the algorithm. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like TikTok is very much the algorithm giveth and the algorithm taketh away. Yeah, it's I'm very much in a taketh away uh, <laughs> portion right well, now. It's already so, given. So <laughs> yeah, it it giveth and now it taketh. So yeah. I'm just like I'm I'm spending a little bit more of my energy trying to bring like my uh, platform and stuff over more to YouTube, just because there's a lot more flexibility and there's That's like just being able to do long term and like that kind of stuff. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, I feel like the good thing is, I mean, I've, I've, I got enough to 5,000 followers, and I'm like, how the heck did this happen? <laughs> I have to talk about stuff. I, I don't do any 
I don't do dances. I don't do anything with filters. I just turn on a camera and talk about like labor shortages and wage issues and occasional neurodiversity stuff. Yeah. And some of it resonates, and it, it is a good algorithm for you put good content on there, it'll put it in front of the people who want to see it. Yeah. As long as it doesn't run afoul of whatever rule they have today. Yeah, exactly. Whatever, <laughs> whatever you're doing. Um, so, and, and so, you know, I, I love the, yeah, it's, it's kind of that, that time, you know, you came along at the right time in history when there was the right platform to amplify your message and there was the, the right apple crate to put in the right park. <laughs> exactly. Where the people would, would gather around for that uh, and and Twitch and everything. And, and of course, that's around what we were saying before, that people can find their community where they never could before with with all of these um, all of these different platforms. And so you said you're, you're shifting more to, to YouTube and Twitch because you can control those platforms more? Yeah, I mean, TikTok is, is, it's scary. Like, it's a scary thing being a content creator because especially when you're like an accidental content creator, because I still kind of feel like all of it is like built on like sand and it's just going to like disappear overnight, which isn't mm -hmm. true, but you know. Um, well, unless they, they ban it again for. Yeah, right. Um, but so, so yeah. So, I mean, the, the challenge with TikTok is that TikTok is great in a lot of ways, but it also has a lot of problems. Um, and so my content, especially because I talk a lot about like mental health and I talk a lot about like sex and kink and that kind of thing, um, that is content that is a little bit difficult, more difficult to like get into the algorithm. Um, and so being able to sort of like go over to YouTube where I can say whatever I want. I don't have to like speak in code. I can like <laughs> age restrict my videos to keep people safe. Um, you know, it's like, it's all kind of stuff like that where, but it's scary because, you know, I have like almost 2 million followers on, on TikTok and I have like under a hundred thousand on YouTube. It's a very mm -hmm. different size of platform. It's very different audience with different expectations. Um, and so a lot of it is just kind of learning the ropes and, and, and finding that sort of like beginning confidence that I had when I was like a very small creator on TikTok and just being like, I don't know what's going to happen, but this is exciting, you know, yeah. um, and kind of like getting that back is like I grow into a new platform. That's been that's been really fun for me. Well, and that's what I hear from entrepreneurs sometimes is when they're when they're small, that's when they're like, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. And once they're you want to have a million dollar business, then they can't grow because they're so fixated on not shrinking. Yeah, they don't want to take any risks. They don't want to take any chances. Um, and it sounds like that may be the same. You kind of reach that altitude. You don't want to fall back. Um, but at the same time, and of course, the, the challenge that everything's built on rented land. It's all yeah, you don't exactly. own YouTube, you don't own Twitch, you don't own, but you're diversifying, which is which is smart. Hopefully. <laughs> and that's something else I want to talk to. Uh, I'm curious about from the business um, business model side of it. So you mentioned OnlyFans, mm -hmm. um, which you refer to as as mostly pans, which I'm always <laughs> amused by. Uh, I, I I love the the, the TikTok patois, the, the like TikTok dialect. Yeah people end up speaking in right <laughs> um but so, so how does that how does that fit into the your business model um i mean it's really nice because i am a certified sex educator and so sexuality is like part of what i talk about and, and what i do mm -hmm. um but it's also something that i'm not comfortable putting in a place where like anybody could watch it like i am not a big fan of like thirst traps and and like kinky content like on tiktok just because like Sex education, I think, is very different than sexual content, and yeah. we don't really make that fine of a distinction in 
in our education system. And so there's a lot of pushback against like sex ed because there's this idea that it is sexual. And mm -hmm. it's like, that's two different things. It's two, yeah. We're talking like mechanics, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, and so I started my OnlyFans almost as a joke. Like it was almost, it really was. It was more of a joke than anything else. And then people started like showing up and I was like, all right, I guess we're doing this. Um, but it's been, it's been really nice. It's been really nice for a number of reasons. Um, one, because my audience split um, in terms of like gender diversity is fascinating is I have a, a wide range of genders who subscribe to my OnlyFans, which is not something that I expected. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that I hear the most is from from women who say I've never seen anybody with a body that looks like mine, you know, because I'm a plus size person, mm -hmm. um, you know, have an OnlyFans. I've never seen anybody who looks like me you know, be sexy or be sexual or, you know, allow themselves to do that. And so, and similarly, like, I don't, you know, people hear OnlyFans and, and I think they tend to think like porn. Mm -hmm. And that's like, that's not what I do. Like, I, that's not what I do on there. Um, Mostly what I do is, is a lot of like intimate, I, like, I don't know a good word for it, like intimate assurance. Like I do a lot of like audios and I do a lot of like videos and, 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 and the content of which is much more about like wanting people to be comfortable and wanting people to be in touch with themselves and wanting people to be okay. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of people come to my content thinking that it's just going to be like, you know, thirsty. And it's like, yeah, you know, I have like some like cute, sexy pictures on there and that kind of stuff. Um, but a lot of them wind up staying for just the vibe. <laughs> <laughs> more than anything else which is which is cool yeah. um and it's been it's been profitable um you know it's nice because it is income that i used that just goes straight back into my work mm -hmm. um uh portions of the proceeds every month uh get donated to the trevor project which is mm -hmm. really important to me um but the rest of it honestly goes to funding like my tours and stuff so when i go to like conventions or do like speaking engagements that kind of thing um that's kind of how i fund those right now um, and so it's nice because it's like, it's a way of paying my bills. It's a way of making money um, that is absolutely in line with what I do. And again, it's, it's on my terms. It's, it's the type of content that I want to be creating. Um, and I get to, you know, get to know people and, and, and provide that content as well. And that's cool. So. Yeah. Uh, I love that. And I, I remember hearing once that, that the, there was some speculation that the, the popularity of massage therapy in America is because Americans don't touch each other. And I could so see it, it was a yeah. socially acceptable way for for lonely people with money uh, to have someone get physical contact. Um, and I think with with that kind of content, you know, OnlyFans type content, I think a lot of times what people are really looking for is more that connection. And so having having someone who's saying, you know, saying reassuring things, it fills it fills a hole they have. It fills a gap they have, a need they have in a, in a way that other content might not. Yeah. And, and yeah, a lot of people on that site are probably have some something missing in their life that they're trying to fill. Oh, I don't think that's true. Um, I think I think. But no, no, a lot uh, of consumers. No, I don't think that's true at all. Like, I mean, content like that is not for lonely people or you know people who are missing something. It is part of being in a community and it's part mm -hmm. of being a wholly developed person um you yeah. know i always say like you know i mean even if you are on OnlyFans for you know just like very spicy content mm -hmm. that's also a tool that's a tool in your yeah. sexuality toolbox well, that's what i'm saying that's what they're going there to 
to to complete like they're looking for that community that maybe they're not finding somewhere else and they can find it through your content and through your community yeah i could see that especially if they live in a place where they're not as accepted in you know their local geographic region they don't have people locally they can find that community that you create yeah i think that's a nicer way of saying that yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I say from the marketing perspective that that you know people often what they 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 buy something to fill fill a need and hopefully they actually buy the thing that fills the need Hopefully, and one oftentimes they buy a thing that doesn't fill the need, which means they need to buy another thing. <laughs> you know, like eating when you're thirsty, um, right? You hate it. So, you hate to see it. <laughs> yeah, and, and so it sounds like you actually maybe you may be filling the need that people really have, as opposed to the need that society tells them they have. Maybe you it's know, possible. <laughs> you know, because yeah, the, the guys there, society's like, you have a need for boobs. No, you actually have a need for community and fulfillment, but. Um, but nobody's going to say that because that doesn't sound very masculine. <laughs> yeah. Men don't need community. Men are islands and stand alone. They just need more boobs. <laughs> <laughs> Which may not be entirely accurate. <laughs> um, so this has been great, and I've, I've enjoyed running the gamut of all the different things you do. Uh, I, I like go through, I was going through your link tree beforehand, and I'm like, this is a lot of different things that I do see how they go together. Because this is a world I've inhabited as well. Um, so this has been so much fun to interview you and to uh, – and now I'm going to tell all my friends, I got Katie Asura as my podcast. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. Um, I appreciate yeah, yeah, it. You're actually one of the – I think the only person I follow on TikTok who was a recommendation versus a uh, an FYP. Interesting. Someone actually said, <laughs> hey, if you're into that neurodiversity stuff, you should – watch katie saurus okay. <laughs> well thanks for watching yes um so if people do want to find your content and engage with you where can they do that uh i'm kate osborne i go by katie saurus on all the social medias i'm on uh tiktok youtube twitter twitch instagram i also have an OnlyFans. it's uh, mostlypans.com um but if you want to learn more about me if you want to see the work that i do if you want to get a hold of me in any way uh you can visit katiesaurus.com katiesaurus.com and of course, that link will be in the show notes. So thank you so much, Katie, for being on the show. This has been awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is great. This has been the Neurodiversity Superpowers Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whitehouse. Sign up to get every episode at neurodiversitysuperpowers.me. Join our Facebook group on facebook.com slash groups slash neurodiversity superpowers. Thank you so much for joining us, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. I'm launching a course called Successful ADHD Entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time, and I've had ADHD for a little bit longer than that. Over that time, I've learned quite a few things that make me quite effective. People even call me organized. After many people ask me to, I have created a course to share what I've learned with you. Get details at neurodiversity.me slash course. The first run is limited to only 20 students, and the first class is April 20th, so don't put this one off neurodiversity.me slash course.